Welcome to Cozy Content Corner. I am your host, Sarah Weiss of On Brand by Sarah. And if you like realistic conversation about social media, video marketing, personal branding, and everything in between, you have landed in the right place, my friend. We do not hold any ish back over here. Now let's get into the episode. This episode is brought to you by the Cozy Content Corner membership. Hell yes, we have a membership. This membership is for entrepreneurs and content creators who want to nail their organic marketing, meaning marketing without paid ads. We dive into all things TikTok, Instagram, email marketing, and referral partners and collaborations. Everything you need as the perfect recipe for organic marketing. And we make it in a way that feels really freaking fun and sustainable. Check out the link in the show notes to join us inside of the Cozy Content Corner. And I cannot wait to see your face inside. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cozy Content Corner. Y'all, today I have my friend Steph. She is a fellow New Jersey native and doodle mom. Oh, I'm so excited to have her here today. But a little bit about Steph before we start. She is a teacher turned copywriter and marketing coach and words are her thing. She's here to help you get crystal clear on your messaging so you can magnetize your dream clients and monetize your social media using intuition combined with evidence-based strategies. When she's not nerding out about sales psychology and business strategy, you can find her nose in a fantasy book practicing reading tarot, enjoying the sunshine out on the trails, or hanging out with her fiance and doodle. Cooper, my love. Steph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am also disappointed that Cooper didn't want to be in the office for this interview. His presence will definitely be missed. (laughs) I know. I was telling her I was trying to, oh, here's Benny's little afro. I was like, I was trying to get Benny to say hi, because I know that she'll appreciate his doodle cuteness. Um, but Steph, first off, congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. I just got married. So I know about that whole world and how it is planning a wedding and running a business and all the things. Um, before we dig into all of the marketing and all of the woo woo stuff that you have to bring to us. Can you tell us first about your transition from teaching to owning your own online business? Yeah, absolutely. So it was not an overnight thing. Uh, It definitely was a big transition that took a while and it's something that's still in transition. So it's been a really interesting kind of series of events, but back in 2020, um, I saw an opportunity, right? So I, and this ties in with all the woo, right? So I was on a trip with my sister to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Orlando in Florida. And I had this like epiphany standing in my hotel room because it was the weekend before lockdown. And my sister is also a guidance counselor. So she and I were seeing emails from our respective schools. We we're watching the news. We're starting to get nervous about how are we going to get home? We're like bathing ourselves in Purell every day, trying to figure this out. 
And I had been talking to my dietitian at the time who had recently gone full-time in her business and she was transitioning to business coaching. And so we were having this conversation while I'm in the hotel room. And I was like, there is an opportunity here for me to have help. And if I don't have help, I'm going to continue dragging my ass on this. And I'm going to continue waiting and waiting and waiting. So that was kind of the moment where I literally just said, screw it, charge my card. I'm, I'm in charge, charge my card. And I started building business from there. And after we got home, it was within a week, we were both shut down. So there was no better opportunity for me to not only start the business, but also get a puppy because that was obviously yes, same. <laughs> so it was a whirlwind. I transformed, I like completely transformed my teaching career in 48 hours to online, decided to start this business. We got Cooper about four weeks later and I slowly started to build from there and it was really interesting building this while teaching full-time because I really learned a lot about boundaries. I really learned a lot about mismanaging my own time. I really learned what burnout is. Uh, I thought I knew what it was until I really knew what it was and um, it kind of reached a point where I was not being treated the way that I wanted to be treated in my school. And as a result, I started seeing an opportunity in my business to become full-time. And I had been waiting and waiting and waiting because my income wasn't necessarily at a comfortable place for me to leave my teaching job. But because of some of the issues I was having at work, I was like, I'm done. I'm taking a leap of faith. I'm going all in and I don't want to paint this like cozy fantasy picture for people where it's like this magical influencer thing where people leave their full-time jobs before they're ready. And it's like magic is happening because the last year has obviously been very difficult financially for a lot of people. And I mean, I have a one-on-one -on -one client that jokes she had, she had to take out a second mortgage just to buy eggs. Right. And it's just, it, everything has been so expensive. Yeah. And so it's definitely had its challenges. And I think my biggest takeaway from the last year is that there literally is no such thing as failure. There is no shame in taking different part-time positions to supplement income. There's no shame in going back into a nine to five or a full-time, you know, full-time position of some kind to pad your income until you're ready. And that I think was a big pill for me to swallow just throughout this whole journey, because like a lot of other entrepreneurs, we tell ourselves these garbage stories that, you know, if we're not exactly one way or we're doing one thing, it, it's all just garbage. And it's just, it's so not true. I don't know where we came up with these stories, but it's like everyone I talk to says the same thing. So it's definitely been a journey. It did not happen overnight. I spent three years building my business before I even thought about leaving school. Well, that's a lie. I thought about leaving school before that, but <laughs> I actually did the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was definitely a process. So yeah, if to anyone listening, I mean, take the leap when you feel like you're ready to take the leap, but also know that there might be times where you need to do other things to create financial safety and security for yourself. Yeah. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because I don't think I've had this conversation yet on the podcast, but like I totally left before I was ready 
before, before I should have, and I'm using air quotes, but I was also at that level of burnout where it's like, I don't give a shit. I need to get out. I need to leave. Like I was working like, I mean, I was working my speech therapy job. I came, I was in a school as well. So I was working from like 845 until 330. And then I was coming home and doing a whole other full-time job. And it's like, dude, I can't do this anymore. So I, when I left, I had enough contracts secured that I was okay. But when you own your own business, things can happen at the drop of a hat that makes you plummet to the ground, right? Especially at the beginning. And, and, oh my gosh, like we planning a wedding and having a mortgage. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to go back to my nine to five. And so I think looking back now, I probably would have tried to stick it out a little bit longer. Um, but I think it's so, people glorify it so much in the online business space that like leaving your nine to five is this magical fairy unicorn. And once you do it, you have all this freedom and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's not always true. No, there's definitely true. there's shackles that come with being your own boss. Um, it's so funny. I was just chatting with my business coach this morning. Um, I was just texting her and telling her kind of like, what the income differences are between last year and this year and all of these other things. And she was like, well, what do you think is the biggest difference? And I said, I finally figured out how to manage my time. And for so much of the last year, I was like literally shackled to my computer. And I read a post from someone else that was like something along the lines of if you're working more than 40 hours a week in your business, then go get a nine to five. Why are yeah. you doing this? Because it's the opposite of why we're all in this space. Right. So it's really interesting and when you look at it holistically like that but that's I feel like your story is not super unique in the fact that like shit hits the fan for so many people when they go full-time and even for me literally within a month and a half of putting in my notice at school I had three clients decide not to re-sign one-on-one contracts which is not the norm for me I have I have clients that have been with me since I first started my business that just continue re-signing so that was a shock to the system and then my fiance's mom passed away. And then we went on a trip that I had him plan, which is a whole other story. That was a disaster that ended up with us leaving a campground in the middle of the night and fleeing to a Marriott in Maine. Oh my God. <laughs> and a couple of other things. And it was like, I literally looked at everything on paper and I was like, what is happening? Like, why is this all converging? So the good thing was that I had the time to deal with it, but it's also just so challenging. And I feel like we as entrepreneurs take everything so personally and we make our businesses so much a part of our personalities. And it's hard to find that separation and like actually move ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we're going to get into copy and messaging and <laughs> all of the amazing woo-woo stuff, but you mentioned something that I really want to touch on, which is you have learned to better manage your time. Now, this is really fucking hard for me and I'm sure a lot of people listening. So what are some shifts that you made to like 
actually manage your days better because as online business owners, especially when we're our own bosses, sometimes we could just like fly by the seat of our pants. Yeah. And let me start by saying that my Oracle cards and my tarot cards were attacking me for months and I kept pulling the freaking boundaries cards. All of the cards were like, you need better boundaries. And I'd be complaining to people like, I don't understand why it's telling me that. And they're all like, we knew, (laughs) you know, we're not seeing it. So a big thing for me has been saying no. And I think with having this level of freedom, it's, really easy and I'm sure you feel the same way after being in a school it's easy to like be on our phone all day because we didn't have that freedom before right I'd be locking my phone in a desk while I'm teaching and not really paying attention or leaving it on do not disturb all day and then I'm like well I'm home it's fine and then before I knew it an hour had gone by and I'm participating in 17 group chats and I haven't done anything I was supposed to do so that and saying no to plans with people and saying no to favors and things like that and I know a lot of the time what had happened for me was that because family and friends, whatever, knew that I was working from home, I'd be asked to chip in more time-wise. And working from home doesn't necessarily mean I can go and do this. So a big thing for me- 100%. Yeah. Especially other people with ADHD or just squirrel brain, which I feel like every entrepreneur I know has some version of either one of those is eliminating distractions. And I actually had read this article. I think it was from Forbes that was saying that people that work from home, when they get distracted, it takes on average 20 minutes to get back on track. And as soon as I read it, it it tracked, right? It made so much sense. And I was like, this is the problem is there's so many distractions. So I had to really set a schedule for myself and be like, okay, I'm working in these chunks of time. And the other thing that I found was that because I wanted that time freedom so bad, I was trying to front load all of my work, including client calls, including discovery calls or chatting in the DMs or responding to people in Boxer or having calls with my own coaches. I was trying to do everything like before one o'clock so that I could have the rest of the afternoon. And I was working straight through. And before I knew it, there were days where I was working straight through until seven or eight o'clock at night. And my fiance would have to come and knock on the door and be like, Hey, it's time for dinner. You need to go after. And so I think really recognizing that I can work in 60 to 75 minute sprints and take a break and it's okay. You know, that was really big for me also. And I think the other piece of this really is utilizing do not disturb um I am a very social creature I tend to text a lot with my friends and I prefer that over phone calls and things like that so it's so easy for me to get sucked into the nonsense on my phone and also on my computer because of the texts are popping up on here as well so really saying no setting time limits using timers I ended up I started treating myself like one of my students And I would, you know, have, I had the monitor set up and I had my computer set up and I would put a timer on the computer and then have all the work on the monitor. And as soon as the timer went off, I had to get up and go take a break. And that kind of stuff was really, really helpful. And I think for anyone thinking about, you know, how do I better manage my time? It's also, if you were still working in your nine to five, or if you were still teaching, you wouldn't have been working straight through, right? It's tolerable because there's breaks. Even in a classroom setting where I have a 90 minute block of time with the same group of kids, 
I'm not talking for 90 minutes, right? They're, I'm talking for like 10 minutes and then they're working. So it's really pulling these things from our professional lives and bringing them into our businesses and really treating it as a separate entity from us. So at the end of the day, also another thing, so another boundary, when you're done at the end of the day, be done at the end of the day, right? So I started child locking my social media apps on my phone. And so I think it's set for like a two hour child lock, which is fine because if I'm creating Instagram stories or posts or whatever in the app, it does take a little while. So if I'm on for more than two hours, I will get a notification that pops up and it locks me out of the app. And I can't tell you how many sales conversations I've been in the middle of where I've been cut off because of the child lock. And it's really funny. And it's just always another place for conversation. So that is my very long-winded version of boundaries. And it'll obviously look different from person to person, but it's really figuring out where your energy leaks and then figuring out how to say no. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing all of that because again, like I came from a school as well. And I think when I went full-time in my business, it was almost like, fuck that. I, you know, I can set my own, you know, hours and whatnot. And I was doing the same thing. And I still do the same thing sometimes, which is why I'm very happy you shared this is like, I will really try and front load my days because I'm like, I can do whatever I want later, but then later I have horrible boundaries and end up going back into my DMs and maybe taking a peek in Boxer. And so I think it is like at first when you are really working on setting those boundaries, I think it's okay to kind of like treat ourselves like children and be like, hey, I'm going to set a timer and I'm going to be really intentional during this time. And then when it's time to take a break, I take a break. And when it's time to come back, I come back. And then when the day is done, the workday is really done. Yeah. And even like, as far as like boxer, messenger, whatever, I have a 24 hour response time, but I can't tell you even one time when my clients waited 24 hours for a response, unless it was the weekend or I was away. And, you know, it's great to be on, but also what kind of a leader are we, if we're not showing our clients that we can also uphold our own boundaries and it makes us stronger leaders. It makes us better coaches and practitioners and service providers. And I think that we are all in this mindset of giving more and more and more and more and more, especially those of us that worked in a school system and or any like childcare ish type position. So it's hard to not want to give so much of yourself but honestly, the less you give, the more people want anyway, because then there's that mystery raveled up in it. And you're also mentally healthier in the process. So it's been a it's been a big adjustment for me. And I feel like when I was teaching, I had better boundaries around Boxer because I obviously wasn't logging in during school. Or if I was, it was like during my prep for five minutes and then I would, you know, be doing my own thing. But it's one of those things that has taken a lot of practice and it's still, I mean, it's still a work in progress and it, I think it always will be for everybody. Right. Oh, a constant work in progress. I mean, cause you're going to go through different seasons of life and business and you're going to have to keep adapting and adjusting and like making sure that you're still taking care of yourself. So it's so important to like keep reevaluating that for sure. Now, Steph, you recently made a little pivot in business right? Can you talk to us about that? Like what, what were you focusing on before and what does this pivot look like for you? So 
it's still kind of ongoing. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's been such a weird year. So <laughs> when I had originally started my business, I wanted to just do copywriting. And I was like, very excited about that. My original degree is in journalism. I have a minor in English. I have a master's in English education. I'm like, this is my jam. And I'm really good at it. You know, not for nothing. I am a really excellent copywriter and I am a really excellent, excellent marketer. So it's something that came very natural for me until I started feeling like doing copywriting projects was like having homework. And I started resenting doing copywriting projects partially because of a lack of boundaries, because I saw dollar signs. And I also, I like overestimated, I guess, how quickly I could get work done. And I never wanted to sacrifice quality, you know, in any of those scenarios. So I would end up overworking just to make sure that the quality was there, right? Because people are paying for a service. I never want them to not have the service that they want, but it was turning into a situation where I was no longer enjoying what I was doing. And so that kind of occurred towards the end of 2022 that I was feeling like that. And it was, um, I think in the latter half of the year, right when I had left teaching. And so I have always also had coaching clients and that also kind of came up by accident. It wasn't something I had intentionally set out to do. Uh, one of my business besties had asked me for an intensive and I like, I sold the intensive for $80, like an hour and a half of time and so much work because I just didn't know any better. Right. It was the very beginning of my business. But once I did that, I fell in love with it and was like, I, I'm a teacher. I want to teach people how to do this for themselves and how to get better and better and better. And my goal is always that my clients won't need me anymore and then they can go and do it on their own. But I mean, I'm good at what I do. And sometimes people want to stick around, not to toot my own horn, but toot toot. So, and it's fun, right? It's fun for me. So that was something that I started falling more and more in love with. And I really wanted to focus more on that. And I wanted to focus more on group coaching programs. I wanted to be able to do a mastermind, but I was struggling because people don't really seek out a copywriter for coaching. And I was like, I don't want to be a business coach. I don't want to be responsible for people's income. So I've been kind of figuring out where that leaves me. And it's really in marketing, right? Which is the big picture. And one of my clients had said something to me that really was like the awakening moment, which was, you're teaching me how to sell in the DMs. You're teaching me different marketing strategies. You are talking me through all of these different sales tactics. You're helping me plan my launches. You're doing all of these other things. Plus you're doing asset review for all the copy. She was like, you're a marketing coach. <laughs> like start calling yourself a marketing coach. And it was that moment that the light bulb went off. And then I've always been a little woo woo. And I started digging in a lot more in the last year and I had also back in 2021 accidentally sold a card reading. It's just one of those happy accidents. I always like to show when I'm pulling cards in the morning, I'll show it on my Instagram stories as part of like my morning routine. And someone that I had been engaging with for a while had DM'd me and asked me if I could do a reading for her. It's like, sure, $25. Why not? Let's see. And I loved it. And I ended up doing a certification program over the last year Uh, basically on how to use intuition and energetics as a part of practice in business. And so as I started 
Yeah. And as I started like weaving that into my coaching and so like I will set space before I have coaching calls. I will call in guidance systems before coaching calls. I will close out the space. I'll use it for like energetically cleansing my office and things like that. I realized that I could really meld the two things together. But with that, I had to let go of the identity of copywriter. And it doesn't mean I'm not doing copywriting projects because they still float into my world from referrals and I will still do them, but it's not my main focus anymore. So now it's the kind of thing where if I have one copywriting project a month, it's so much more fun than front loading five projects all in the same month and thinking this is fine, which it was not. <laughs> yeah. if any other copywriters or people that want to do copy that are listening to this, manage your time and charge your worth so that you are not doing a million projects at once. And that was another thing was the undercharging. That's a whole other conversation. But that is kind of where this pivot has landed me. And I've really seen how I can use intuition in coaching, social media strategy and marketing, but also using all of these evidence-based strategies that I've learned over the years because I've tried them and they've worked and my clients have tried them and they've worked and I've watched other people use these strategies and they work. And so it's the combination of those two things now is kind of where I'm at. So that is how this whole pivot has kind of taken place. And it's been really interesting, a little overwhelming, but also really fun. Yes. Oh my gosh. We love a pivot. And like, I always say I'm like woo adjacent, but like I, I feel like every day I'm like becoming more and more woo woo because like I just see that like it it works like it works it feels good it's a huge part of of mindset and mindset even though you would never think you know when you're like oh look at that CEO like look at that like millionaire like you would never think that mindset is a huge part of business but it is. Oh my God. It so, so is. So now when you started in 2020, right? When you started in 2020, what are some like shifts in messaging and just like the way we write copy compared to right now when we're recording this in 2023? Oh my gosh. I love that question. It's changed so much. <laughs> And so just, much because I started when you started. Yeah. And even just, I'm sure you have the same experience just from a personal standpoint of like looking at my content from 2020, I cringe. Um, <laughs> it's just so bad. Oh my God. Same. But we all I start there. We literally all start there. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has to start somewhere. I always tell my clients, you're building the snowball so that you can push it down the hill. Like mm -hmm. you can't build momentum until you have the snowball to push down the hill. So, and in 2020, a lot of what I saw was, for lack of a better word, a lot of like bro marketing. Um, a lot of people doing, and it still happens, but a lot of people doing like cold DMing, cold messaging, cold emailing, um, which is a whole other conversation. I always pull the reverse Uno card of those people. They don't like it. Um, <laughs> um, a lot of really heavy use on pain points and... Mm. I almost feel like before the pandemic, the use of pain points was really borderline derogatory in a sense that they were being used in a, a way to shame people into action versus after the pandemic, all of us, 
as a collective, were just so burnt out and so exhausted. And it really shifted in 2021 where people started to focus more on pleasure points and possibilities and transformations that could happen and imagining the possibilities and pain points still have a place, right? You have to know what is causing your audience pain. Otherwise what you're doing, this simply isn't going to land, mm. but painting those pictures and those possibilities and helping people to actually dream when they're so stuck in all of the garbage of everyday life and all of like the cycle of struggle, it really is helpful to getting people to move. Um, a lot of other stuff that I've seen is a very heavy emphasis on sales psychology. And so that has been really interesting. And I'm not sure if it's simply the corner of the internet that I hang out in, but I think it really is kind of a big picture thing where people are starting to actually learn these other sales tactics and these other pieces of like background information that you really need to know. And it's everything from, you know, what colors and fonts are you using to what type of language are you using? And it just turns into branding and messaging as a whole as a big picture versus I'm just going to post the three vegetables you need to eat to reach your goals. And, you know, it's, it's expansive. So I think that part of my observation is definitely the people whose content I see the most, but I'm seeing the same thing in marketing and ads too, where I feel like even with uh, the rainbow campaigns that have been going on with like Budweiser and I think Chevy was the next one. There's a big movement to be tapping into other parts of the market by connecting with them on a more human level. And that's another really big shift is how do we treat our audience, not like numbers, but like people and how do we connect with them on a really human level? And it goes back to not just recognizing the pain points, but understanding why they're there. Right. So a lot of people I work with are in the health and wellness space. So if you were to use an example for someone that is a weight loss coach, for example, you know, they're going to say, I'm going to help you get more energy. Well, what is the opposite of more energy? It's you're so tired that you can't get out of bed. Right. It's you're so tired. You can't keep up with your kids or going on a walk with your dog is exhausting or whatever. And it's knowing those things so that you can empathize, treat this person like a human being, make that connection. And then you make the sale, but it's, uh, it's, that's the biggest shift I think is really changing the way that we're viewing our audiences, changing the way that we're viewing these sales conversations, changing the way we're viewing engagement and really shifting into a more conscious sales practice. Yeah. Can you dig a little bit more into how you use sales psychology? Cause I know that there are so many different parts of it, like buyer types and how you word things. And like you said, the colors that you use. So like, what are some really important aspects of sales psychology that you make sure to use in your marketing and your clients marketing? Yeah, I love this question. So it's kind of a couple of different categories. So the first one would be the visual, which is really my brand photos, my, um, my fonts, my colors, right there. It's very intentional. Um, like for example, I intentionally made a very feminine brand because I really only want to work with women-owned businesses. And it's so funny because my dad also works for himself and he always is like, well, why don't you want to work with men? <laughs> and I'm like, because they're men. <laughs> <laughs> like I live with one. I don't need to work with them. 
Yeah. And <laughs> it's always just this funny conversation. It comes down to personal preference. But the way that I present my brand, even I I use the same uh, filters when I do on Instagram. I always use the same types of music when I am promoting my offers and things like that. And it's because of the way that I want people to feel when they look at it. Right. So in color psychology is a whole other conversation with like the colors of your branding and things like that. But if you look at brand photos, if someone is showing up with a blazer and trousers and shooting money from a money gun, that is, you know, one audience that they are hoping to attract versus when someone shows up with their denim jean jacket and linen pants, right? That's a different type of audience that they're hoping to attract or a different type of image. So that stuff is really important when it comes to sales psychology and just being very intentional in that way. And when it comes to the actual sales piece, I always look at buyer types and I always look at stages of awareness, right? So mm, yes. when it, yeah, when it comes to our messaging, when it comes to specifically content, when it comes like social media and emails, you should always be warming up your audience. Always. It's something that never stops, right? And it's providing value in such a way that they want to keep coming back and learning more from you. And just a note on providing value, because this is the number one thing that my clients always get tripped up with. And they'll say that they learned from such and such a coach that told them to provide value. And now it's all they could think of. Value can be anything from you made them laugh. You were interesting. They like the picture of your dog, like anything any way you show up is value. So it's not, I have to create the best post ever. It has to go viral. Like that's, that's not a part of it at all. So that's one thing. And also the way that I speak on social media and via email and in my website sales pages is very intentional. I'm very conversational. I'm the way that I speak in my captions is exactly the way that I speak in real life. I never want people to be surprised by anything. And most often that's actually the comment that I get from brand new clients is, wow, you sound exactly the way that you do online. And again, that's very intentional. Um, And when it comes to buyer types, I specifically use those when it comes to launching. So I will color code my whiteboard calendar with the types of content that I want to be putting out each week of my launch period from like the pre-launch before I even start a pre-sale all the way into the last call. So I always know that I want to be speaking to, you know, for example, the urgency buyer, that's going to be the last 72 ish hours of my launch, because that's the person that then needs to move off the fence. And so I use that kind of in conjunction with the phases of awareness. They're very similar. And it's really just where did you learn it at this point? Cause they're almost identical, but, um, I will change around the language and the types of things I'm showing. So for example, um, during the very beginning stages of a launch, I will tease the offer. I will make sure that I drop the name of the program at least five to 10 times before any doors open for any sales. That way my audience is used to hearing about it. Um, I will always use the same types of colors or the same type of music when I'm creating launch content, because again, I want them to get used to it and have that brand awareness. Um, I'll show the behind the scenes things. I will also, so if it's a FOMO buyer, for example, the fear of missing out, this yes. is the that's like, they're going to buy because of the bandwagon effect. 
because other people are buying it and it looks really cool. So it's so important to celebrate the people that are coming into the offers, even if you're not showing their name and picture. Be like, I'm so excited, one spot was sold or cross it off a list or do the post-it wall or whatever. But there's definitely a method to the badness of doing this. And I think honestly, one of the best ways to learn about sales psychology is to observe. And I think that's what a lot of people miss when they're going on social media because they're going in, they're checking their DMs, and then they're getting off or they're going in, they're checking their DMs and then they're obsessively scrolling into infinity. What you should actually be doing is going and looking at the three entrepreneurs or business owners that you most admire and watch what they're doing during their launches. And then mm-hmm. see if you can figure out what are the strategies that they're using? What are the specific things that they are saying? How are they showing up and why is it working for them? And really it's like qualitative evidence. So I'm very big on that. And I think when it comes to sales psychology, it's something we're always learning. We're always improving. We're always growing. But at the end of the day, we all know how we want to be spoken to. And we all know how we want to feel when we're reading something. And that's the biggest thing. Because it's it's a rabbit hole that you can get down that can become overwhelming really quickly. Yeah. Would you mind going through the different stages of awareness just for people that don't know anything about it? <laughs> yes. So we start with unaware, which is when people don't know anything about our offer. They don't know anything about what it is. And at that point, we have to educate them on it, right? Then we have problem aware, where you're educating them on what the problem is, which is why I said before, it's so important to know what the pain points are. Because without pain points, you can't get them to be problem aware. And you have to educate them on what the problem is and why it's an issue. Then it's product aware when they're starting to be aware that there is a product that could solve their problem. Then we have solution aware, right? Which I always kind of tie that together with product aware because the product is the solution. Um, And then we end with most aware, which is when they know, excuse me, all of the things. They know that they have a problem. They know they need a solution. They understand what the solution is and where to find it and how much it costs. So going through that, If I were to put that in terms of a launch for social media, I would think about, okay, what is my pre-sale period? I need to then backtrack maybe two weeks and start really educating on the problem and the solution before that even happens. So I think a problem that I see most often, uh, especially with newer entrepreneurs, is that they're like, well, I just want to sell this thing. So they post about it once and then they don't understand why people aren't buying and it's because They don't know what problem it solves. They don't know what the solution is. They don't know what the product is. There's not enough information. And it goes so far beyond just a sales page or a landing page, right? So, and just a note about the buyer types. Honestly, most often I use that in my Instagram story marketing, which always differs a little bit from my feed post marketing. It's all the Oh, a hundred percent. Oh my gosh. I was talking about that yesterday with my friend Carly. We were doing a live on Instagram. And we were talking about the cultures of the different platforms. And then when we got to Instagram, I said, I actually treat my Instagram stories like a totally different platform than my feed. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that? Because I we use it very similarly. Yeah. So I don't show up on my feed very often. Uh, I've cut Same. way back over time. <laughs> Um, so I guess with an asterisk, I'll say this in the very beginning, and I'm sure you were probably the same way. 
I was religiously posting at least five times a week in the very beginning of my business. Um, and it's, again, it's building up that snowball so that you can then push it down the hill. And what I mean by that is building up the momentum so that you can cut back. And it's, it has to, it has to be there in that way because you're basically creating an online portfolio for yourself. You're creating a scenario where people can go and binge your content and then say, okay, I want to work with this person. So in the beginning, I was posting a lot. Now I really focus on either leadership content or educational content in my feed. I don't do a lot of straight sales. And what I mean by straight sales is I have this new program and it's amazing. It's blah, blah, blah. Like, that's great, but it's not sexy. Like what's sexy is my client, Susie, started with this problem. And during my time together, she created this solution. Here's how. And then you pitch your offer, right? So I really treat my feed as a bonus. And I really look at it as how is this going to benefit my current clients? And so often I'll post things and my current clients will message me and be like, is this about me or have you write this for me? Or is this based on the conversation we just had? And you know, there's nothing wrong with using your clients as inspiration, but yeah, for sure. it's really just, I write my feed content for them. And when it comes to my stories, that's where the brand comes in, right? Because I am showing my dog as part of my brand. I am showing my morning routine. I am showing my agenda for the day. I am using Instagram story tools like stickers and question boxes and polls. And I'm engaging with people and I'm having real conversations with them. And I honest, honestly, most of the time, if I'm doing any kind of engagement, it's through stories. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of patience for scrolling through my feed unless there's something I really want to see there. So that's another thing there too, is I will treat that as an opportunity to have a real conversation with someone, which is how you and I had connected because we started engaging with each other. But by having real conversations and then realized that we had all these similarities and headed off immediately. Um, and something that I see with engagement most often is that people will scroll through and just heart, heart, heart. Like that's, that's not getting you what you need. It's not getting you what you want. It's not going to get you your desired result. And it's, again, it's looking at people as people instead of numbers. So with my stories, again, that's kind of where I'm going to also focus on the buyer types, especially when it comes to launching. And I'm going to make sure that I am creating content in my stories that is going to really move people off the fence. So whether it's a mini training or I'm doing some kind of a quiz using polls or anything like that, that is really where it comes in. It's also easiest for me to show up more there. I put a lot of thought and effort into my content and my content, I mean, my feed posts. And honestly, I don't always have the bandwidth to do it. So it's really a matter of what can I prioritize? And someone listening to this might think the opposite, that Instagram stories are so hard, but feed posts are so easy. For that person, I would focus on feed posts then. It's really where can you be the most consistent and where can you give the value that you know is going to benefit your audience and ultimately make them want to continue working with you or want to start working with you. Yeah. Um, and you touched on something earlier, how your client was like, you are helping me with like DM strategy and DM sales. So can you talk about kind of what your strategy is in the DMs, whether you are 
nurturing a potential client or chatting with someone that's more of like a referral partner type like talk to us about the different strategies that you're using in the dms yeah i love that and i will start by saying that this was not something i started off in my business doing um it was more so i started selling and closing sales in the dms because i stopped having the bandwidth to take discovery calls with my full-time work schedule so it was really born out of convenience and once it worked once i knew i could replicate it so if someone reaches out to me, I know that they are probably going to buy from me. Um, people generally don't reach out unless if they know they want to purchase something. Obviously, sometimes people reach out and then never reach back and that happens. Um, but I will honestly start by asking someone, you know, what are you currently struggling with? Because what they think they need might not be what they actually need. So for example, um, I had someone reach out to me recently for a website and I said, okay, can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what you're looking to accomplish with this website? What do you really want to have happen? And they started telling me about it and I was able to identify the three problems that they wanted to solve with the website. And I said, actually, I don't think that this is what you need. I said, I think that you need something a little bit different. And I pitched a different package and the person said, oh, you hit the nail on the head. I didn't realize that was what I needed. And at that point, I mean, I don't usually do a lot of fluff in my sales conversations unless if the other person wants to talk about other things. But by the time they come to me for sales, they want to talk about the sale. So I'll give them the details. I'll ask them what questions they have. I always leave an open-ended question there for them to answer. I never just drop, you know, here's the offer and that's it. It's always, here's the offer. What questions do you have? Yeah. And then, I'll give them an opportunity to answer. It's always good to be patient. Let them read through it. If it's more than like three days and I haven't seen a response, a lot of times I will follow up and just say, hey, you know, just wanted to check in. What questions do you have? And most of the time, once I do a check-in, the person is like, I'm ready. So it's, I think DM sales are something that are overcomplicated for no good reason. And if someone is reaching out because they're interested in a service, they're basically ready to buy. Um, and when it comes to like financial objections and things like that, I can navigate on a case by case basis. Um, if someone says that they want to go and check in with their significant other, I've seen a lot of very conflicting information from sales coaches and business coaches on this. My feeling is if I say that I'm hundred percent telling the truth, so I will always assume best intent and assume that that person is also telling the truth and they legitimately want to go and check with their partner. Yeah. Um, you know, and if someone is saying like, I'm really concerned about my finances, I don't know if I can make this work. I have no problem offering extended payment plans. I have no problem offering, you know, you can put a deposit on it for as low as, you know, whatever amount of money and we can push it out a month. That way you can have some time. So it's, it's really without sacrificing my own integrity and without sacrificing the integrity of my bank account, but also being understanding to other people. So a lot of times with my clients, when they come to me and they ask me, you know, how do I close a sale with this person in the DMs? I will walk them through whatever questions I would ask them. And it's exactly the same questions I would go through on a discovery call. Tell me what your issues are. What are you hoping to accomplish? You know, what is keeping you stuck? What are you struggling with right now? 
and let them talk. And I think that's the biggest issue is that with sales, we're all so hyper-focused on what we need to say. But the problem is that we spend so much fucking time. Sorry, I don't know if I can curse here, but I am. Oh, 100%. Yes, please do. (laughs) We spend so much fucking time worrying about the next thing that we want to say instead of actually listening to the person. And it is very blatantly obvious when you're on the other side of that conversation when someone is not actually listening to what you have to say. So my biggest piece of advice when it comes to sales in any capacity, whether through the DMs or discovery calls or whatever other platform people want is to listen first and ask more questions. Mm-hmm. And if the person stops responding to you or ghosts you or whatever, it's not aligned. Let it go. Um, and the other big piece of advice I can lend is to not put so much stress and pressure on every conversation. I've had people that have asked me for details on a program and have decided it wasn't the right time and then came back a month or two later or a year later and then bought from me then. So you just, you never know and you never want to burn a bridge because you're angry. Um, That would be, I think the biggest thing though is listen, ask questions, get really curious. And I mean, scripts are great, you know, especially if you're a newbie beginner, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're doing, but for me, they've never really been my jam. I it's that's actually one of the oh, reasons. Same. So it's just not my thing. No, me neither. Me neither. Um, so one last question about stories and DMs. Yeah. So do you use any strategies in your stories to get people to take that initiative to hop into the DMs with you? Yeah, there's a bunch of different strategies. So I'll talk about a couple of them, but it really, it goes back to the buyer types and being really consistent, right? So I know that sometimes there will be times where I can post, I have a copywriting slot available and someone will immediately message me and it takes zero effort. Other times it's going to take more effort. So it might be over the course of a week, I'm showing the behind the scenes. I'm showing the wins. I'm talking about the process. I am talking about how passionate I am about this project and sharing how excited I am and really warming them up throughout the week to then say, I have an opening, come DM me. The biggest thing that a lot of people miss is the call to action. And question boxes are the hardest to get people to engage with. And if it's not detailed enough, getting people to message you, it's going to also be really difficult So it really just depends. I try to eliminate barriers to entry as often as possible. So if I could put a link in my stories and say, click here to purchase, I'll do that. So for example, I did in February, a buy one, get one free intensive sale. It went really, really well. And obviously people love BOGO. I I love BOGO. Um, Hell yeah. It was fun, but it was exhausting. It was a lot of calls. Um, But what was really effective in that was here's the link, here's the code, click the link, use the code over and over and over again. And that's not to say I was posting the same exact story slides every day because I wasn't, but it was creating ease because the link was also in my profile and I could have said, you know, link in bio, but then that's creating the extra step up. They have to go and click on my bio, then they have to go and click on the link and then they have to go back and find the coupon code. It's eliminating barriers to entry. And when I really think about during a launch, how can I get more people interested? It's really knowing your audience, right? So I know my audience 
loves master classes and they love especially low cost ones. I have no problem filling up in enrollment for those kind of things. Um, I also know that with my audience for higher ticket offers, they need more warming up. So I think that part of this is tempering your expectations and understanding the sales process. Because again, it's so often with, I feel like selling this thing, I'm going to post about it once. And now I'm disappointed because nobody reached out. And it's just, it's lack of information. It's lack of warming up. It's lack of engaging. And I mean, something sneaky that I'll do is if I'm also sending an email about something, this is just as an aside, uh, I'll go and I'll look and see who's opening my emails and I'll look and I'll see who's clicking on my emails and then I'll go and I'll engage with them on Instagram. And I have had people buy because I went and I engaged with them and just said something nice to them or I complimented them or we had a real conversation or whatever. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to really encourage people to buy. But I think the the biggest thing is getting excited about your own offers and showing your face. And yeah. when I hear people talking about their offers and getting so excited, it makes me want to buy their offer. If someone's just like, I'm selling intensives, you will get X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. Oh, so good. So juicy Steph, Thank you so freaking much for coming onto the podcast and dropping all of your knowledge bombs. Um, if people want to find you on the social media streets, where can they find you? They can find me most easily on Instagram or on threads. I guess I'm there too. Sometimes it's a weird world on threads though. (laughs) On Instagram, I am it's Steph green. So it's, it's period Steph green and I had to remember that because I just changed my handle the other day. It was a whole other pivot. Um, and my website is copybysteph.com. So I am always down for conversations. If anyone is listening to this podcast and has questions about anything that I said, feel free to shoot me a DM and say hi and ask your questions. I clearly, I love nerding out about all this stuff. It's just so much fun. So I always welcome them and I do have some spaces available for intensives. So if anyone is interested in a one-off session, I do invite them to send me a DM and ask about it. And that's a perfect example of a call to action. If anyone wants to know how I do it. Yes. Yes. And I will link all of that in the show notes for everybody. Steph, thank you so much again. And to everybody listening, I will see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cozy Content Corner. If you liked it, please be sure to give the show a follow and leave us a rate and review. If anything resonated with you from this episode, please come over to TikTok or Instagram and tell me about it. Until next time, my friend.